Welcome to Pure Nonfiction, the podcast interviewing documentary filmmakers. I'm Tom Powers, the documentary programmer for the Toronto International Film Festival and artistic director of the Doc NYC Festival. My guests are the three filmmakers behind the new Netflix series, Hot Girls Wanted, Turned On. The six episodes explore how technology is changing our sex and intimacy in fundamental ways. It probably goes without saying, this is an adult conversation. If kids are in earshot, you probably want to pause and listen later. The origins of Hot Girls Wanted Turned On began with the filmmakers Jill Bauer and Rana Gratis. They met when they were both on the staff of the Miami Herald. Jill as a reporter and Rana as a photographer. They left the paper and teamed up to make their first film, Sexy Baby, in 2012. The film looks at a generation of women coming of age when digital devices are rapidly changing sexual boundaries. We watch a 12-year-old girl named Winifred surfing the internet where dubious information and explicit imagery is just a click away. You know people are getting plastic surgery on their vaginas? We actually? Before okay. and after. Before and after photos. Dr. Benson in Texas. Oh, she definitely needed some labia surgery. After Sexy Baby, Jill and Rana toured college campuses interviewing students about the influence of pornography. They noticed a mass consumption of so-called amateur porn, low-budget videos that skew toward extreme scenes. Deep Throat looks genteel by comparison. Jill and Rana gained access to an amateur porn talent recruiter named Riley near Miami. He and his female recruits became the subject of Jill and Rana's second film, Hot Girls Wanted. That phrase was the headline Riley used to advertise on Craigslist. He posted ads in small towns throughout the country, offering a free plane ticket to Miami and entry to the world of porn. Every day, a new girl turns 18, and every day, a new girl wants to do porn. I will never run out. It was an irresistible lure for girls eager to escape small towns, like this 18-year-old Rachel, who they recorded a week after her first porn shoot. Do I want to be in my parents' shoes when I'm their age? Like, yeah. no. I don't want to have, I didn't want to, I don't want to go to college, meet someone in college, marry them, stay in my hometown, have a bunch of kids, and live there happily And then after. die there. But the appeal is usually short-lived. In a business that craves new flesh, most performers last only a few months and wind up in situations they couldn't predict. Here's Rachel, several weeks later, talking to her housemate. I was in California, and I had like a blowjob scene, and I was like, for sure, $300 for a blowjob scene, that's nothing. You go there, you don't even have sex. Cool. I go there, and he's like, oh yeah, it's a forced blowjob. And I'm like, what? Just one guy. One little camera on a tripod. I don't... Fuck. I was scared. I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I could tell him no. Or the fact that we already recorded 15 minutes of it, if I could just fucking leave, like, then what? 
Then I understand that, like that's how like rape victims feel like they feel bad about themselves. The film Hot Girls Wanted debuted at Sundance in 2015. It was produced by Rashida Jones, who's known as a writer and actress, especially for her work on Parks and Recreation. Netflix bought the film and commissioned the trio of Jill, Rana, and Rashida to make the spin-off series Hot Girls Wanted Turned On. Over six episodes, they explored different facets of sex and technology, from dating on Tinder to stripping on webcams. I hosted the filmmakers in March at the Miami Film Festival. This conversation took place on International Women's Day. I asked Rashida about the episode she directed called Women on Top. She looks at feminist pornographers who are a contrast to the male-dominated world in the original Hot Girls Wanted film. I think we all wanted to feel like there was something to aspire to because Hot Girls Wanted, you know, is is a look at this this specific house with these specific girls, but it is, it's common for, you know, that gender dynamic to exist where the guys kind of call all the shots, all the guys, all the directors are guys, all the porn recruiters are guys, and, you know, women kind of do what they're told if they're young and they don't really have power in the industry. And I think we wanted to see if it could be done any other way. Not that it's, you know, the norm in in the in the industry, but if it could be done that way. And Erica Lust, we were kind of all aware of Erica Lust. She's kind of an international star. She's given a TED Talk. She's very vocal about what it is she does. She makes porn that really reflects female desire, and she wants to battle this imbalance. It's time for porn to change. We need women in the leadership roles. I don't want to get women out of porn. I want to get women into porn. The other storyline in Women on Top looks at Suze Randall, who is the first female staff photographer at Playboy. I feel I'm a feminist. You can take total advantage of the men if you've got the balls to do what you want, to do it better, to do it harder. And you're also cute. Come on. Now her daughter Holly is working as a porn director, only in a new economy with much lower budgets. I am struggling so much because, like, I have so much less money to work with, so now I can only use one assistant. I've got to rush my hair and makeup artist, and I can't phone it in. Like, I can't physically, like, just let that stuff slide. And so at the end of the day, like, it's a longer day than I wanted. I ended up paying more than I wanted to, and I ended up taking home, like, very little. Those characters cover a lot of ground in terms of, like, you know, what's possible as a kind of outlier in the industry, what's possible or not possible as a woman who's trying to play within within the industry the way it is now. I mean, the structure of it, and Holly talks about this a lot in the episode, is that she doesn't have the budget she wants. She doesn't have the time she wants. Like, there is just, it's, it is a, it's an industry. It's, you know, like, they want to turn over product quickly. That is the main goal. So in this film, you were filming on a porn set that was where Holly Randall was uh, was directing. How was that filmmaking experience different than when you're on the set of a Hollywood film? Probably le- like a little less nudity on Hollywood films. But it was, you know, it was similarly 
like hot and difficult and challenging and technical. I mean, that's the thing that sort of surprised me the most was like. I guess also lower budget on a. Lower budget. Yeah. Yeah. But like 15, I've I've done a lot of low budget (laughs) movies, but 15 minutes in, you're like, oh, this is like, there's shots that Holly needs to get. There's, you know, she has to shoot like still photography and make a movie. And it's, it was just hot and difficult and uncomfortable and like everybody was really professional but it was like just challenging it was technical you know like all any kind of filmmaking is is pretty technical episode four is titled money shot and looks at male performers in porn i asked jill why they chose that as a topic when we went to college campuses we wanted to hear what young men had to say because we had we've talked to so many young women And we kind of have a pretty good idea of what the continuum is of, you know, thought and opinion. And so we really wanted to hear about young guys' struggles. So we said, you know, we've been on porn sets and we know what happens behind the scenes. But guys who watch porn have no idea how how a fantasy is created and how fake it is. So we said, all right, let's bust, you know, those myths and show really what happens. And like, what Rashida said, it's very technical, and it's really, really difficult. And there are lots of um, tricks of the trade that people need to tune in to watch. The Money Shot episode pays careful attention to racial dynamics. Black performer Jack Slayher describes what defines an interracial scene, known as IR in the trade lingo. Black performers get booked mostly for interracial sex with white women. A lot of people in the porn world, um, even though that happens, like interracial seems to be black men and white women, whether it's a white guy with a black woman or a white guy with an Asian woman, you know, or a black guy with a Hispanic woman, that's not interracial. Porn is just sort of, because it's art and it's, it's First Amendment, rights and freedom and 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 it's really not regulated or monitored all sorts of things can happen in in the world of porn and so we always knew that we wanted to address how racist porn is and it's really racist i asked rana to explain the pay scale for interracial scenes that's described in the film basically um there is a premium put on a scene where a white woman has sex with a black man, she's paid more to have sex with him because basically it's still a taboo and to to shoot any sort of taboo fetishized scene in porn, you're paid more. So these women um, get a higher rate to have sex with a black man. And in some cases also her, like her value goes down because she has now like gone into the final frontier of basically types of sex she can have. There's an anal rate, there's a gangbang rate, and there's a, you know, sex with a black man rate. It's a pretty hard watch watching that scene, I have to say. But the people, the men who are in that scene, directing that scene, photographing that scene, seem unreflective about, you know, what feels, I think, apparent to many viewers in this. Can you talk about that lack of reflection? This might be too broad, but I really think it just comes down to capitalism. 
I mean, I think there's there are industry standards, things that have become acceptable and normalized within the industry, like you shoot an IR and you get more money, you know, an IR sex scene. And and I think also like the the photographer, you know, he's like uses humor to kind of like make everybody comfortable. And I think the truth is these things are happening every day and everybody does their best to try to make them feel normal and okay. And I think some of that is about like numbing out a bit. And also getting the job done. I feel like Jack's, you know, it's really apparent that he's not dying to be portrayed in the way that they're asking him to to be portrayed, which is like aggressive or whatever, but he's doing a job. And I think everything comes down to, well, it's a job and money's made. And it's sort of this sacred thing that if there's money to be made, everything else kind of goes out the window. You don't have to concern yourself with anything else. That's really true in porn. Mm. And the thing we wanted to show with Jack's is that um, – so basically, he, he. This is Jack Slayer. Jack Slayer. S L A Y H E R. He is being asked to be very aggressive and dominating. And now, big guys, again. Mean face, Jack. Oh, it's, no, no. Big, oh, surprise. Beautiful face. Jack's making mean face. That's a good face, Jack. Mean one, a mean one. That is not his personal style. We interview him and talk about what kind of sex he likes to have off camera. And he's really a sensual guy. So it was also really important to us to show, again, you know, especially young men who are consuming this type of porn who think, oh, okay, this is this is the kind of sex that, you know, maybe I should want to be having because look at this hunky guy. This is how he's doing it. And it's great to be able to get inside his head and hear him say, well, I'm just doing this because the director is asking me to do it, but I personally don't care for this. In both pornography and Hollywood, women's bodies are the key commodity, yet they don't hold the power. I asked the filmmakers how they viewed this paradox. Everybody wants ownership over women's bodies. There are these, you know, like these mysterious, complicated things that can, you know, that are to be attained or to be to make life like there's all this mythology around female bodies and i think this is really like a product of the feminist movement in the 60s and 70s like i think sexual freedom brings a lot of other complicated things like w- when you say freedom what do you mean freedom like do you mean like i feel free sexually or people are free to experience me sexually and i think we're kind of in that place right now I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I feel like it's just we just got to keep pushing and having a conversation and continuing to diversify the spectrum of what a woman can do and is capable of and not just have this one simple idea of like what women are, what makes them sexy, what makes them desirable. We just have to keep pushing it out on both sides. I don't want to generalize, but I know that often women are um, very empathetic. And I think... I mean, Rashida certainly experienced it when she was watching how empathetic and and caring the women on porn sets were about the men. And I think that we're, we're very caring. So we sort of put ourselves aside and our feelings aside. And I think that we forget that we should be a little bit more careful with ourselves and and um and ask for what we want ask for what we want exactly and i think women feel more comfortable asking for what they want when other women do it first like we're we're good at leading each other i found that like in 
corporate, sometimes sexist situations. Like if you speak up, it will allow another woman to speak up. So I'm happy that there's like, hopefully there's a day, there's like many, many days where women just say like enough or I'm not doing that or I, I, I have a better idea and other women follow. That's really true. Because even in, in our, in, when we work together, mm-hmm. you've helped us to speak up. I mean, Samesies. Samesies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it's so easy to forget about that and not do it. I know. I think when you put out your film, Hot Girls Wanted, uh, originally you took a certain criticism from inside the porn industry that you were showing only a narrow slice of it. And I think there's, within the porn industry, there's a lot of defensiveness about what they do. Can you talk about that criticism that you got and and how you think about it? Of course, when you get criticism, your knee-jerk reaction is to is to be defensive and to, and to, and to uh, uh, push back. But as documentary filmmakers, we actually are very open to hearing criticism. I mean, we, nobody likes it, but uh, you pay attention. And that's why we, I mean, that's part of the reason why we wanted to do a series. There are more stories to tell. And yeah, I, I think that we really appreciated it. We understood it. We understand that it's a tough industry. There's so much porn being made. It's so competitive. So sex workers are in some ways afraid and they and they are very 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 protective and we completely understand that. I think you know part of the criticism is like us coming from the outside and shining light on an industry that we're not in which you know I get that but I also I think about my own relationship with my industry and like Lord knows Hollywood is super corrupt and super sexist and there's a lot of problems with it and any chance I would get to try to help and fix that, I would do it. So I think really for there to be pushback is kind of a good thing because it really is like a food chain thing. And it's the same thing with Hollywood where the sex workers, they're, they have so little, they think they have so little power. And really there's like a couple guys who are making a lot of money and then nobody else is because the industry is so dispersed now and everybody's making porn and like people aren't really getting paid the way they need to be getting paid to like live their lives. So that that instinct to protect your job and to protect this thing that's like paying your bills, I completely understand and have so much sympathy for. That being said, I hope that the good of it outweighs the criticism, which is like, we really did want to shine light on something so that conditions could improve or that people felt like they were educated before they, you know, entered a certain situation. Or maybe there is something to be done. Like, I I hope that eventually we come out as like as allies, because, you know, we're not, we are so not anti-porn. And hopefully the series gets to show that a little bit more. We're just interested in having conversations around porn so that we can improve it for adults, for children who watch it, for women. There's just a lot of work to be done still. Now, there's a different wave of criticism you could take from people who would say the characters you're portraying have more agency than a lot of other people in porn. You're not looking at women who are being trafficked. You're not looking at underage people being pulled into this business. How do you think about that? I mean, I've gotten a lot of that criticism because I've kind of publicly declared myself as a feminist. 
And I think I was, as somebody who's like not a millennial, I wasn't kind of aware of this, of third wave feminism the way that I am now. And it's been a very educational couple of years, steep learning curve. Um, and I've certainly made some mistakes and like had some like blind spots that I've had to correct and understand and create tolerance around. But I think there's always going to be subtle coercion and that's what we're interested in. Like, yeah, we get that 18 and under is illegal. We get that, you know, there is sex work and sex trafficking that has absolutely no agency. But then there's like the gray area where girls feel empowered and may not have enough information or life experience or like counter media to know that they wouldn't feel empowered going into having a career in porn. And there's some girls that will. There will always be both. But I think we're more interested in the other thing, which is the kind of cultural impact that porn has had on like young girls who may not be right for the industry. We actually met Rashida uh, at a women's conference and she was on a panel with Winifred who was a main uh, teenage character in Sexy Baby and we were in the middle of, of filming Hot Girls Wanted and so on the stage at Lincoln Center there were some amazing women. Rashida was one of them and they were just, they were just talking about female empowerment and we were sitting there and we were thinking wow, if the girls in Hot Girls Wanted were sitting here listening to this conversation, their lives would be so different, their trajectory would be so different. And it's about, there's so much of it has to do with socioeconomics and opportunity that a lot of people don't have. And there's just, there's this huge sort of chasm between what some young women know and don't know. It struck me last night when we screened this at the Miami Film Festival, the young women who came up to you, uh, women who appeared to me to be college age or, or or just after they've seen your movie, Hot Girls Wanted, clearly respond to it um, strongly. Can you talk about some of that reaction that you've gotten from women that age? I think young women are confused about sex. I mean, in Sexy Baby, we interviewed Danielle, and she's in the film, and she was uh, she saw porn at a you know she was twelve, I think, or no nine, eleven. She was eleven when she first saw porn, and she describes the scene to us. And I remember we were with our editor, and we were looking for that scene because she described it in great detail, and there were like thousands of scenes like that, and and. When we were looking for that scene, I was putting myself in an 11-year-old young woman's shoes, and I was thinking, that's horrible. If I thought— if It's I, horrible to watch it in your 40s. Like, it's true, exactly. And I thought, if I, if I was that age, I mean, I just—the way I learned about sex was so organic and, and, and seamless and normal. And, yeah, it's—I would have been really confused. I would have thought that I would have had to do that with a guy. And also, pornography, young women— it's not it's not something like that they're comfortable speaking with their parents about and also schools are not incorporating the conversation about porn into sex ed so i think that our films and this series are really an outlet for young people to explore these topics um, and I think it's especially helpful that we the storytellers are adult women 
unfortunately, sex education in this country, it's just too politicized and there's too much kind of like religious influence over school boards. It's going to come from media and porn literacy so that we can help in the same way that I feel like, you know, there's some elements of school that help you to just think critically and understand your filter on a situation or, you know, how to how to look at something and, and see the other sides of it. We just need to you know, kids need to realize that what they're seeing isn't real, whether it's like this sexy, glossy image or, you know, the way sex is supposed to happen. Um, I mean, I can say I watched so much TV when I was a kid, like eight hours a day, whatever, that's maybe too much, but so much TV. And I'm lucky enough now to work in TV, but it's, it's that's what shaped my brain, you know, and I was watching like really, you know, vanilla sitcoms and stuff. How do you think it shaped your brain? Well, it just shaped my sense of humor. Um, it shaped my understanding of like family life, what it's supposed to be, what it's not supposed to be, um, like dating, courting, um, you know, relationships between girlfriends, guy friends. Um, so much of that I learned from TV, just from watching TV. And I can't imagine that's changed anymore. It's not just because we have more media, like kids are now so savvy. I mean, they're probably more savvy, but they still don't. It's really hard to explain the difference between what's real and what's not. I want to thank Jill Bauer, Rana Gratis, and Rashida Jones for speaking with me. Their film, Hot Girls Wanted, and their new series, Hot Girls Wanted Turned On, are streaming on Netflix. Pure Nonfiction is distributed by the TIFF Podcast Network. This interview was recorded at the Standard Hotel during the Miami Film Festival. Thanks to our team, series producer Michael Scotty Jr., sound recordist Khalil Bailey, sound mixer Kyle Murphy, web designer Cross Strategy, marketing coordinator Sarah Moto, social media master Jordan Smith, and executive producer Rafaela Nehausen. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at T-H-O-M Powers. If you're in New York, check out our screening series, Stranger Than Fiction, on Tuesday nights at IFC Center. The spring season runs through June 6th. You can read our show notes, learn about live events, and sign up for our newsletter at purenonfiction.com net.